Volume Two, Chapter Two of Rob Roy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Rob Roy by Sir Walter Scott. Volume Two, Chapter Second. Where longs to fall yon rifted spire, as weary of the insulting air, the poet's thoughts. The warrior's fire, the lover's sighs, are sleeping there. Langhorn. At the first Scotch town which we reached, my guide sought out his friend and counsellor to consult upon the proper and legal means of converting into his own lawful property the bonny creature, which was at present his own only by one of those sleight-of-hand arrangements which still sometimes took place in that once lawless district. I was somewhat diverted with the dejection of his looks on his return. He had, it seems, been rather too communicative to his confidential friend, the attorney, and learned with great dismay, in return for his unsuspecting frankness, that Mr. Tutope had, during his absence, been appointed clerk to the peace of the county, and was bound to communicate to justice all such achievements as that of his friend, Mr. Andrew Fairservice. There was a necessity this alert member of the police stated, for arresting the horse and placing him in Bailey Trumbull's stable, therein to remain at livery at the rate of twelve shillings, scotch, per diem, until the question of property was duly tried and debated. He even talked as if, in strict and rigorous execution of his duty, he ought to detain honest Andrew himself. But on my guide's most piteously entreating his forbearance, he not only desisted from this proposal, but made a present to Andrew of a broken-winded and spavined pony, in order to enable him to pursue his journey. It is true he qualified this act of generosity by exacting from poor Andrew an absolute cession of his right and interest in the gallant palfrey of Thorncliffe Osbaldistone, a transference which Mr. Tutope represented as of very little consequence since his unfortunate friend, as he facetiously observed, was likely to get nothing of the mare, excepting the halter. Andrew seemed woeful and disconcerted, as I screwed out of him these particulars, for his northern pride was cruelly pinched by being compelled to admit that attorneys were attorneys on both sides of the tweed, and that Mr. Clerk Tutope was not a farthing more sterling coin than Mr. Clerk Jobson. It wouldna have vexed him half so muckle to have been cheated out o' what might amaist be said to be one with the perils o' his crag, had it happened among the Englishers. But it was an unco thing to see hawks pike out hawks in, or a kindly Scot cheat another. But nay doubt things were strangely changed in his country, sin the sad and sorrowful union. An event which Andrew referred every symptom of depravity or degeneracy which he remarked upon his countrymen. More especially the inflammation of reckonings, the diminished size of pint stoops, and other grievances which he pointed out to me during our journey. For my own part, I held myself, as things had turned out, acquitted of all charge of the mare, and wrote to my uncle the circumstances under which she was carried into Scotland, concluding with informing him that she was in the hands of justice and her worthy representatives, Bailey Trumbull and Mr. Clerk Tutope, 
to whom I referred him for farther particulars. Whether the property returned to the Northumbrian fox-hunter, or continued to bear the person of the Scottish attorney, it is unnecessary for me, at present, to say. We now pursued our journey to the northwestward, at a rate much slower than that at which we had achieved our nocturnal retreat from England. One chain of barren and uninteresting hills succeeded another, until the more fertile vale of Clyde opened upon us, and, with such dispatch as we might, we gained the town, or, as my guide pertinaciously termed it, the city of Glasgow. Of late years, I understand, it has fully deserved the name, which by a sort of political second sight my guide assigned to it. An extensive and increasing trade with the West Indies and American colonies has, if I am rightly informed, laid the foundation of wealth and prosperity which, if carefully strengthened and built upon, may one day support an immense fabric of commercial prosperity. But in the earlier time of which I speak, the dawn of this splendor had not arisen. The Union had, indeed, opened to Scotland the trade of the English colonies, but, betwixt want of capital and the national jealousy of the English, the merchants of Scotland were as yet excluded, in a great measure, from the exercise of the privileges which that memorable treaty conferred on them. Glasgow lay on the wrong side of the island for participating in the East Country or Continental trade, by which the trifling commerce as yet possessed by Scotland chiefly supported itself. Yet though she then gave small promise of the commercial eminence to which, I am informed, she seems now likely one day to attain, Glasgow, as the principal central town of the western district of Scotland, was a place of considerable rank and importance. The broad and brimming Clyde, which flows so near its walls, gave the means of an inland navigation of some importance. Not only the fertile plains in its immediate neighborhood, but the districts of Eyre and Dumfries regarded Glasgow as their capital, to which they transmitted their produce, and received in return such necessaries and luxuries as their consumption required. The dusky mountains of the western highlands often sent forth wilder tribes to frequent the marts of St. Mungo's favorite city. Hordes of wild, shaggy, dwarfish cattle and ponies, conducted by highlanders as wild, as shaggy, and sometimes as dwarfish as the animals they had in charge, often traversed the streets of Glasgow. Strangers gazed with surprise on the antique and fantastic dress, and listened to the unknown and dissonant sounds of their language, while the mountaineers, armed even while engaged in this peaceful occupation with musket and pistol, sword, dagger, and target, stared with astonishment on the articles of luxury of which they knew not the use, and with an avidity which seemed somewhat alarming on the articles which they knew and valued. It is always with unwillingness that the highlander quits his deserts, and at this early period it was like tearing a pine from its rock to plant him elsewhere. Yet even then the mountain glens were overpeopled, although thinned occasionally by famine or by the sword, and many of their inhabitants strayed down to Glasgow, there formed settlements, there sought and found employment, although different, indeed, from that of their native hills. This supply of a hardy and useful population was of consequence to the prosperity of the place, 
furnished the means of carrying on the few manufactures which the town already boasted and laid the foundation of its future prosperity the exterior of the city corresponded with these promising circumstances the principal street was broad and important decorated with public buildings of an architecture rather striking than correct in point of taste and running between rows of tall houses built of stone the fronts of which were occasionally richly ornamented with mason work a circumstance which gave the street an imposing air of dignity and grandeur of which most english towns are in some measure deprived by the slight insubstantial and perishable quality and appearance of the bricks with which they are constructed in the western metropolis of scotland my guide and i arrived on a saturday evening too late to entertain thoughts of business of any kind we alighted at the door of a jolly hostler wife as andrew called her the hostelaire of old father chaucer by whom we were civilly received on the following morning the bells pealed from every steeple announcing the sanctity of the day notwithstanding however what i had heard of the severity with which the sabbath is observed in scotland my first impulse not unnaturally was to seek out owen but on inquiry i found that my attempt would be in vain until kirk time was o'er not only did my landlady and guide jointly assure me that there would not be a living soul either in the counting-house or dwelling-house of messrs mcvittie mcfinn and company to which owen's letter referred me but moreover far less would i find any of the partners there they were serious men and would be where a good christians ought to be at sic a time and that was in the barony lie kirk footnote the lie kirk or crypt of the cathedral of glasgow served for more than two centuries as the church of the barony parish and for a time was converted into a burial place in the restorations of this grand building the crypt was cleared out and is now admired as one of the richest specimens of early english architecture existing in scotland End footnote. andrew fairservice whose disgust at the law of his country had fortunately not extended itself to the other learned professions of his native land now sung forth the praises of the preacher who was to perform the duty to which my hostess replied with many loud amens the result was that i determined to go to this popular place of worship as much with the purpose of learning if possible whether owen had arrived in glasgow as with any great expectation of edification my hopes were exalted by the assurance that if mr ephraim mcvitie worthy man were in the land of life he would surely honor the barony kirk that day with his presence and if he chanced to have a stranger within his gates doubtless he would bring him to the duty along with him this probability determined my motions and under the escort of my faithful andrew i set forth for the barony kirk on this occasion however i had little need of his guidance for the crowd which forced its way up a steep and rough paved street to hear the most popular preacher in the west of scotland would of itself have swept me along with it on attaining the summit of the hill we turned to the left and a large pair of folding doors admitted us amongst others into the open and extensive burying place which surrounds the minster or cathedral church of glasgow the pile is of a gloomy and massive 
rather than of an elegant style of gothic architecture but its peculiar character is so strongly preserved and so well suited with the accompaniments that surround it that the impression of the first view was awful and solemn in the extreme i was indeed so much struck that i resisted for a few minutes all andrew's efforts to drag me into the interior of the building so deeply was i engaged in surveying its outward character situated in a populous and considerable town this ancient and massive pile has the appearance of the most sequestered solitude high walls divide it from the buildings of the city on one side on the other it is bounded by a ravine at the bottom of which and invisible to the eye murmurs a wandering rivulet adding by its gentle noise to the imposing solemnity of the scene on the opposite side of the ravine rises a steep bank covered with fir trees closely planted whose dusky shade extends itself over the cemetery with an appropriate and gloomy effect the churchyard itself had a peculiar character for though in reality extensive it is small in proportion to the number of respectable inhabitants who are interred within it and whose graves are almost all covered with tombstones there is therefore no room for the long rank grass which in most cases partially clothes the surface of those retreats where the wicked cease from troubling and the weary are at rest the broad flat monumental stones are placed so close to each other that the precincts appear to be flagged with them and though roofed only by the heavens resemble the floor of one of our old english churches where the pavement is covered with sepulchral inscriptions the contents of these sad records of mortality the vain sorrows which they preserve the stern lesson which they teach of the nothingness of humanity the extent of ground which they so closely cover and their uniform and melancholy tenor reminded me of the roll of the prophet which was written within and without and there was written therein lamentations and mourning and woe the cathedral itself corresponds in impressive majesty with these accompaniments we feel that its appearance is heavy yet that the effect produced would be destroyed were it lighter or more ornamental it is the only metropolitan church in scotland excepting as i am informed the cathedral of kirkwall in the orkneys which remained uninjured at the reformation and andrew fairservice who saw with great pride the effect which it produced upon my mind thus accounted for its preservation ah it's a brave kirk nane o your wig maleries and curly wordies and open steek hems about it a solid wheel-jointed mason work that will stand as lang as the world keep hands and gunpowder aff it it had amazed a duncombe lang syne at the reformation when they'd put down the kirks of st andrew and perth and their awa to cleanse them o papery and idolatry and image worship and surplices and sick like rags o the muckle hoor that sitteth on seven hills as if ain was na braid enough for her old hinder end so the camons o renfro and o the barony and the gorbals and a about they behoved to come into glasgow no fair morning to try their hand on purging the high kirk o popish knick-knackets but the townsmen o glasgow they were feared their old edifice might slip the girths in going through sicken rough physic say they rang the common bell and assembled the train bands with tuco drum 
by good luck the worthy james rabat was dean o guild that year and a good mason he was himself made him the keener to keep up the old bigging and the trades assembled and offered downright battle to the commons rather than their kirk should coop their crowns as others had done elsewhere it was not for louvo papery na na nane could ever say that o the trades o glasgow say they soon came to an agreement to take a the idolatrous statues o the sands sorrow be on them out o their nukes and say the bits o stain idols were broken in pieces by scripture warrant and flung into the molendinar burn and the old kirk stood as crouse as a cat when the flays are caned after and a body was alike pleased and i hae heard wise folk say that if the same had been done in ilka kirk in scotland the reform would just hae been as pure as it is e'en now and we would hae mere christian-like kirks for i have been sae long in england that naething will drive out o my head that the dog kennel at osbaldistone hall is better than mony a house o god in scotland thus saying andrew led the way into the place of worship End of volume two, chapter second.